Amen. What a comfort it is to know that um, we don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to be in control. Um, we don't have to understand it all. We just have to have a heart that we surrender to the Lord. Well, our first through sixth graders are getting ready to go to worship, children's worship, and right here on my left-hand side, Priscilla is going to lead them there, and we're thankful for that, and we'll see them at the conclusion of the service, and so uh, we're thankful for that. Well, um, I have a breakfast group that, that I hang out with on Tuesdays, and um, you can tell something of our age by the things that we talk about sometimes, and uh, sometimes we talk about TV shows and uh, movies, and this last week we were talking about Gilligan's Island, and uh, that's, how no, that's how you know we're old, right? Um, and I don't know if you remember this sitcom, uh, those of you that are old enough to remember or that watch the, those channels that have the old stuff, you know, uh, I don't know what the channels are, but uh, we were talking about how Gilligan's Island, there was all these people that were so smart uh, to figure out how to survive and how to have a quality life and how to do all these kinds of things, but they never could be rescued from the island. They never got away. They were smart enough to do a lot of things, but they were not smart enough to get rescued, apparently. And, and I thought about the fact that, uh, you know, people stranding in an island makes for a good sitcom. It makes for good movies, whether it makes for good reality shows, whether it's Survivor or the series Lost. It, you know, people are stranded, it makes a good story. And, and I think part of the reason that it makes a good story is because when people are stranded, when people are shipwrecked, they show their true colors. When you find yourself marooned somewhere, the, the, you, you, the truth comes out about who you are, really. So there's, there's something that happens there. I believe that it is in the storms of life that our character is either developed or demonstrated. In the storms of life, you're either developing your character or you're demonstrating what your character is, what you're made of. So we're following Paul and his companions on their voyage to Rome, and they find themselves in the midst of a fierce storm. Hurricanes, wind, winds raised, and the waves grew huge, and they were pounding against this boat, and, and it was dark, and, and it was raining, and they were so concerned for their lives that they threw the cargo overboard, which is a big deal. And the storm didn't stop, it continued. And so the next day, they throw the tackle overboard. And after many days of rain and darkness and storm, they lose all hope. They have no hope of making it through. The, the, the storm was so persistent that for 24 seven, there was darkness, no sunlight, no moonlight, not even the stars. And the soldiers find themselves and prisoners and sailors find themselves there in the darkest moment of their lives. And in that dark moment, Paul offers hope. He tells everyone that God has promised that he must appear before Caesar. 
Not only has God promised that Paul must appear before Caesar, but he has said that everyone on the ship, everyone on the boat will make it too. Now that's good news. That's good news, that's refreshing news in the midst of darkness. But he tells them they're still going to experience shipwreck. They're still going to be a sunken ship. Now imagine that, the good news, you're gonna survive, but your boat's gonna sink. It is in the shipwreck that we see the difference that faith makes. It is in the shipwreck that character is demonstrated. It is in the shipwreck that it becomes evident who we belong to. So let's pick up the story where Pastor Chad left off last Sunday. We, he really led us into uh, this storm story. He gave a spoiler alert. Well, he didn't do an alert, he just did a spoiler. And so I'm gonna pick up where he left off in Acts chapter 27, uh, verse 27. It says, on the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that, he would be that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. 14 days, 14 days of, of rain and wind and darkness. I mean, combined shelter at home with power outages and an ice storm for two weeks, and you begin to get a feel for what they might be feeling, but even worse. This is what the sailors we're going through. And so in their desperation, they pretend like they're doing something to, to the ship, but what they're really doing is they're getting on the lifeboat and they're trying to get away and leave everyone behind. These are the sailors, they're in charge of the boat and they're, they're going to bail out on, on the rest of the people. Now, Paul had told them that the God to whom he belonged would spare everyone's life, didn't he? But these sailors did not know Paul's God. These sailors did not belong to the God of Paul. So it's hard for them to trust the promises of God that they did not know. You can't blame them for trying to save themselves, can you? You know, people who do not know God try to save themselves. People who don't believe in the power, the redeeming, saving power of God try to save themselves. People who, who do not have faith will, will take desperate measures to, to survive, to, to get ahead, even if it's at the expense of others. And Paul notices the sailor's plot and, and he tells the centurion about it. If, if these sailors save themselves and they leave everyone behind, it forfeits God's promise. Look at verse 31. It says, Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. Pretty personal, isn't it? Pretty direct. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and it let it drift away. The first thing that sort of jumps out at me here in this story is that hope is not selfish. 
Oh, it's not selfish. Paul informs the centurion that if these sailors act selfishly, that centurion and his soldiers will perish. God's plan was to save everyone on the boat, not just those that who could figure out how to get on a lifeboat, not just those that, that were smart enough to, to save themselves, but God wanted to save everyone, to show his power, his supernatural ability to, to save an entire crew of people, even in the impossible situation. It's 110 years ago that the Titanic was built. It was a technological marvel of her age, the ultimate symbol of mankind's genius and this victory over the elements and a symbol of hope for a new century. Unsinkable. All aboard the Titanic uh, were, were all kinds of people. There were millionaires and there were penniless immigrants, the rich from New York and London and the poor from every corner of Europe. There were first-class passengers and second-class class passengers and third-class passengers. And the one thing that they all had in common is that most of them died at the sinking of the Titanic. Some of them said goodbye to their families. They lit cigarettes on deck and waited for death. True to the old code of honor, women and children first. Courage was everywhere. There was an orchestra that was playing while the boat was sinking. But there was cowardice too. There was this sense of desperation and self-preservation. Bruce Ismay, chairman of the owners of the Titanic, got on a, in a lifeboat where there were women and children still on the main ship. Another man from third class got a, a woman's shawl and put it over his head to pretend he was a woman and, and got in a boat. And some of the boats left without being filled to capacity. And as they were passing by passengers that were in the icy waters trying to stay afloat, they would ignore them because they were afraid that, that the lifeboats would overcap. Titanic witness Mankind at its selfish worst and at its best. And for 110 years, people have been asking themselves a question that haunts everyone. What would I have done? Well, we know what Paul did, don't we? God gave Paul the guarantee that he would make it all the way to Rome. Paul had the full confidence that God was able to save him in this storm. Paul didn't have to care about the sailors. He didn't have to care about the soldiers. He didn't have to care about the other prisoners. But God cared about them because God wanted to save them all. And so Paul cares about them too and he shows concern for them. He shows that hope is not selfish. Some choose every man for himself as their motto. Some people store up more toilet paper in their homes than they can ever use in their lifetime or eggs, or milk. Some people cheat and skip lines to get to the front of the vaccine line when vulnerable people are still waiting for it. Some people fight and argue about individual rights in the middle of crisis and pandemics. People are naturally selfish, but people of hope are not selfish. Well, they shouldn't be. 
People of hope love their neighbor. People of hope care about others. People of hope understands that God, understand that God is able to save us and save others. That God is able to meet our needs and meet the needs of others. He's that big. Now God saves individuals, but he saves individuals for community. Salvation is personal, but what God is doing is he's building a people. He chooses a people for himself. God saves us for community, not for individuality. That's the difference that faith makes. That's the difference that the gospel makes. And Paul showed that. Not only did he prevent the sailors from escaping, but he encouraged everyone. Luke tells us that there were 276 people on board who were tired and hungry and in desperation and despair. And look at what Paul does in verse 33. Look how he directs himself to them. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food and you haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food you needed to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. Right before dawn, right before the night ended, right before they could sense the first ray of sun on them, Paul offers these words of hope. Paul tells them, listen, you need to eat because you're gonna make it. You haven't eaten for 14 days, you've been uncertain, you're discouraged, you're tired, but you need to eat because you're gonna need the strength to go through what's next. And that's the second thing that stands out in the story, that hope offers encouragement. Not only was Paul sure not only was Paul resting in the promise of God, but he's able to extend it to others as well. Right at the beginning of World War II, a, a German destroyer sunk uh, an Allied ship and most of the people in that ship were uh, missionaries. And the, the same German destroyer that had sunk them rescued them and brought them on board. And, and as they were brought on board, they they uh, divided the women from the men and, and sent them to, to sleep. And the next day, they allowed them to reunite on deck. And they were asking each other about the experience and, and the fear that they might have felt and whether they were able to sleep or not. And, and someone asked this elder missionary, were you scared? Were you able to sleep? And he said, I was scared. I was thinking about what might happen next and I was having a hard time sleeping, thinking about everything that had happened to us or that might happen to us. But then I remember Psalm 121 that says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So I pray, Lord, there's no sense in two of us staying up all night. 
If you're going to stay up all night, then I'd appreciate if you let me get some sleep. And I was able to sleep, he said. When your hope is in the Lord, you can sleep in peace. When your hope is in the Lord, you can eat with confidence. When your hope is in the Lord, you can face the day with assurance. Now, having hope doesn't mean that you won't experience tragedy. Having hope simply means that your confidence is in the Lord no matter what happens. God didn't offer false hope to these people. He didn't tell them white lies. He didn't say, look, everything's going to be okay. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. He didn't pretend that they weren't going to suffer, suffer shipwreck. In fact, he was very truthful with them. And that's what happens in verse 41. If you there, go there with me. He says, but the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move. And the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The ship falls apart and begins to sink. They are still far from the shore. They are shipwrecked. In spite of God's promises, they find themselves shipwrecked. In spite of Paul's hope, they find themselves shipwrecked. Now, how many of you know that God saves? That God is able to save us in fact, that God always saves those that he promises to save. That God always saves those who trust in him fully. Sometimes God saves us from the storm, doesn't he? I've been in situations where the storm is looming, where a hurricane is coming, and, and meteorologists have said that it will wipe us out, and we've prayed, and God has redirected the hurricane in another direction, sometimes God saves us from the storm. Other times, God saves us in the storm. You remember that occasion when Jesus and his disciples got in a boat and, and they went out into the sea and Jesus was so tired that he began to take a nap. And then a storm broke out. And the winds were blowing hard and the waves were getting high and the water was coming in the ship and the disciples were angry that Jesus would take a nap during such a time as this. And they wake Jesus up. Now that's peace. When you can sleep in the midst of the storm, that's peace. They wake Jesus up and Jesus gets up and he speaks to the wind and he speaks to the waves and he says, be still. And the wind and the waves become still. Sometimes Jesus saves us in the storm. And sometimes Jesus saves us through the storm. Here in this story that we're reading that Paul is going through, after 14 days of wind and rain and waves and darkness, God didn't calm the storm. There was no voice from Jesus or Paul that, that told the waves to be still. The storm took on its full force until the ship was sunken. But God was still there. God sometimes saves through the storm. A couple of weeks ago, one of 
the people from our 1230 service who works in the oil fields in West Texas was laid off. And, and uh, the next day after he was laid off, another company hired him and he worked for a day or two. And, and then that company said, look, we're going to take a break for a couple of weeks. You still have a job here, but why don't you go home to your family in the valley and, and then you'll come back and, and you'll have a job when you come back. And he said, great. And so he drove down to the valley, came to see his family. And when he arrived here, he had a heart attack and he had to go to the hospital and they had to do emergency surgery. And the surgery was successful and this was, the surgery was a week ago. Surgery was successful and then this week he was able to go home and he's recovering well. And the family is very thankful that, that he was allowed to come home, that he didn't have a heart attack in the oil field, that he didn't have a heart attack while he was driving from West Texas to the valley, that he had a heart attack when he was close to a hospital and was able to, to get help and, and that the surgery went well. And we rejoiced with the family, but I was thinking, I would have rather him not have a heart attack. Sometimes we would just want God to spare us from those things, but sometimes God makes us go through the storm and still saves us. And it makes a difference where your faith is. It makes a difference in the storms of life, who you belong to. It's interesting that those who do not belong to God act very differently. We see this contrast throughout the whole story. Notice what the soldiers consider doing when, when the ship is wrecked, when the ship is sinking. Verse 42 says the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. And the third thing that comes out from this story is that hope extends kindness. The soldiers try to kill the prisoners. The Roman military system was very harsh on soldiers who allowed their prisoners to get away. And so these guys are not about to let these prisoners swim to shore and run away. Paul had just fed them lunch. He's going to have a lot of strength to run. He said, we're not going to let them get away. We're just going to kill them. And that way we don't get in trouble. In spite of Paul's words, they didn't want to take a chance. In spite of Paul's offer of hope, they did not possess that hope. Now the centurion was in a different place. The, the, the centurion had been kind to Paul from the beginning. Way before the storm, when the ship made a stop on the journey, Luke tells us the following. Just rewind with me to the beginning of chapter 27. That was part of last Sunday's story. Verse 1, it says, when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regiment. And then you skip to verse 3. It says, the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. So we have here this centurion that had been kind to Paul from the beginning for some reason, we don't know why. Maybe he had heard about Paul and he had respect for him. Maybe there was something about Paul's demeanor that, that really 
called him to be kind against his own military training. Or maybe it was the fact that he was named Julius. And when you have a name like that, you're just a cool guy, right? That's a little part that Chad left out of the sermon last week, you know? Centurion's name was Julius and he was cool. Now, he may not have listened to Paul when he warned him about the storm, but after the storm, he's listening. He's all ears. Paul says, look, those soldiers are going to get away in that lifeboat. And, and the centurion acts quickly to stop that. And then there's a situation where the, where the soldiers are going to kill the prisoners. And, and Julius, in kindness for Paul, he wants to spare Paul's life. And so he stops them from killing the prisoners. See, because of his hope in God, Paul had been kind to everyone in the ship. Everyone. Regardless of, of race, background, class, soldiers, and prisoners, and sailors. Paul had been kind to them. He encouraged them. He broke bread with them. He cared for them. And as if it were contagious, now this Roman centurion is being kind to Paul. He would not have done that if he had not been infected by Paul's hope. Hope is contagious. Kindness makes a difference. Hope extends kindness. I've been so blessed by this church in so many ways, but whether it's COVID or the ice storm or the immigration crisis, people in our church are constantly wanting to show kindness. People are, are doing all kinds of things, some behind the scenes, some a little more visible. I had, we had someone call us recently and said, look, I want to prepare blessing baskets for people in our church who feel isolated, who have been gone, going through a hard time, and I want to invest in my resources and join with Calvary to be a blessing to these families. And then we had someone else call and said, look, I've, I've observed that there are a lot of nurses from out of state in our hospitals, and, and there are charter buses parked outside the hotels, and these people are here. They're away from their home. I know they get paid good money, but I want them to know that there's a church in McAllen that loves them. And I, I want to make sure that we do something to show love for them, and I want to be a part of that. I want to invest in myself in that. That's, that's awesome. And the same thing with the immigration situation. Over and over again, people are doing kindness because that's who we belong to. Because regardless of the crisis or the situation, people show who they belong to by their kindness. It makes a difference. When everyone with Paul had been shipwrecked, they arrived safe on shore, they found themselves in an island. And Luke tells us that kindness was there already. Look at uh, chapter 28, I, I'm running out of time, but I just want to read that first part of that next story in verse 1. It says, once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Hmm. Even in the shipwreck, kindness follows Paul. Isn't that something? Even in a strange island, here are islanders that extend kindness and hospitality to these people they did not know. It reminds me of what the psalmist was sure about. The psalmist, whether sometimes he was 
lying down beside the green pastures or beside the still waters or whether he was going through the valley of the shadow of death, the one thing the psalmist was sure of is surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Paul had that certainty and it was true and we see it here. How would Paul and his companions make it all the way to Rome without a ship and without supplies? Why would God allow this ship to, be, to, to sink here in this island? Well, I'll tell you why. Because that little stop allowed the people of Malta to know about Jesus Christ. As Paul and his companions spent time there, God worked miraculously. He saved Paul from a snake bite. And then he used Paul to heal the, the, the islander, the chief's father. And then they healed everyone who was sick in the island and they left the gospel witness there. And because they did so, the people from the island provided Paul and everyone a ship and supplies to go on to the journey. That's what God does in the midst of shipwreck. Often God's provision is not in what we possessed before the storm, but in what God promised on the other side. I'll say it again. Often God's provision is not in what we possess before the storm, but in what God promised on the other side. Paul and 275 other people experienced shipwreck. God spared their lives, used Paul to bring healing to the island of Malta, and planted gospel seeds, and still fulfilled his purpose of making sure that Paul arrived in Rome. None of this would have happened if Julius had not spared Paul. It would not have happened if Paul had not offered hope and kindness. It would not have happened if God hadn't planned to rescue them. Sometimes God saves from the storm. Sometimes God saves in the storm. Sometimes God saves through the storm. It is for God to save. And it is for us to trust him. And to show who we belong to. God shows his power. And he saves us through the storm. We show that we belong to him when his spirit shines through us in those difficult situations. Today's story of shipwreck invites us to trust God in our storms and to allow our faith to be a testimony to others. Would you stand with me? As you think about how God's word has spoken to you today, I wonder how it is that you need to trust him. Maybe for the first time, you need to make Jesus Lord of your life. He's the anchor, the rock, the shelter, the salvation that you need. You can't save yourself, but he can save you. And he makes you part of a great community. Maybe as a believer, you need to trust God in other ways. Maybe you're about to go through, to a storm. Maybe you're in the midst of a storm right now. Or maybe you just went through one. But God is calling you to trust him. And as you trust him, God is calling you to shine your light. Let your light so shine before men that when they see your good works, that will glorify the Father in heaven. Father, thank you for Paul and 
for this shipwreck story. None of us like shipwreck. But thank you that in the midst of shipwreck, you're faithful and powerful and sovereign. You shape us, you teach us, you use us. And God, we ask you to do that in our lives today. Would you use us as we respond to your word, as we respond in faith and obedience? As we sing, you say yes to God. <laughs>